0: Thank you for joining us again on the PIXIS podcast, the go-to podcast for pediatric cardiac critical care and official podcast of the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society. My name is Sadie. I'm a pediatric cardiac intensivist at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, Emory University. I have the enormous pleasure to speak with Dr. Lillian Sue, Dr. Mary McBride, and Dr. Michael Alice-Moga about a topic that I think everyone is going to find really interesting, fun, and pertinent to our everyday life. It's about giving and receiving feedback. At the time of this recording, Dr. Sue was at Lucille Packard Children's Hospital, Stanford University, and at the time of release, she is the medical director of the cardiac ICU at Phoenix Children's. She's also on the board of PCICS and serves as a co-chair of the education committee. Dr. Mary McBride attends at the Anne and Robert Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago, Northwestern University, where she's also the Associate Fellowship Program Director of Cardiology. Dr. Michael Alice Moga attends at the Hospital for Sick Children, University of Toronto. She is also a co-chair of the PCICS Education Committee. I initially had reached out to Dr. Sue, given all of her experience with simulation. And Dr. Sue, you were just saying some wonderful things before the recording about why you wanted to pull in Doctors McBride and Dr. Moga. If you could repeat some of those to our listeners about their expertise in the field and what they add. Yeah, absolutely, Sadie. Thank you so much for inviting us
1: to talk about this subject. This is something I think Michael, Alice, Mary, and I spend a lot of time thinking about. And specifically, we as three people who do a lot of simulation in the cardiac intensive care unit, I think, end up thinking about debriefing and feedback and facilitation a whole lot. And so when you had approached me about doing a dedicated podcast about some of the themes that we had talked about in the previous podcast when Lindsay Justice and I were talking about our humanness session at PCICS 2020, I immediately thought of, Michael, Alice and Mary to really compliment me and this discussion. And specifically, I think Mary really highlights the academic rigor of education and educational theory currently in the US at least educational system. And I think she's really pursued the path of um, pursuing a lot of, She's has a master's in education and really comes at it at a much more formal way than I would say myself at least. And I think she will really complement this discussion, not just from a simulation perspective, but being in the throes of um, academic rigorous, the educational system at Northwestern. And um, I'll let Mary talk a little bit about her recent promotion, um, which I won't do justice. Um, But I'll tell you a little bit about why I chose Michael Alice and Michael Alice is actually pursuing an MBA. And I felt that her approach from kind of the business side of things would be really, really helpful to this discussion as well, because I do think that the business and finance world have a lot of great literature in how we should be giving feedback. And some of the studies that have come out of their literature. And then I was saying how I've been fortunate enough to pursue a lot of research with people who are more from the industrial and organizational psychology and organizational behavior kind of field. So I think between the three of us, we come at feedback from three different ways, but hopefully complement each other. Mary, I missed your formal title that you just recently got promoted to. So maybe if you could just comment on that.
2: So I recently took over a group at Northwestern University Medical School, which carries the name the Feinberg School of Medicine. And so the group is the Feinberg Academy of Medical Educators. And so it's a group of people that serves to both reflect um, and highlight the educators on campus who are going above and beyond, um, and then also to promote uh, medical education at a specific level campus-wide. So I'm the director of that group. So I develop programming to basically to create faculty development as it relates to being a good teacher in the in the clinical realm.
0: Thank you for um, each bringing your unique perspective and experiences to enrich our conversation, and hopefully this can be a time where we can all be introspective um, as listeners and participants and learn from each other, from research, from past experiences, to have hopefully tools to be able to um, participate in education of our trainees and also of ourselves in a more, I think, meaningful way, in a more rich way. I I think there's sometimes a lot of baggage around the word feedback, and it can be really uncomfortable to give feedback, especially when you want to communicate something that might have been awkward. You know, as much as we try to be really conscious about giving feedback and complete a week of service with someone. We try to make it a priority and to show up and give feedback directly and critically. We're not often taught about how to give feedback. You know, there's a couple of theories, the feedback sandwich and things like that, but we don't really get a chance to dissect it, how to give feedback in a meaningful way. And that feedback can be different than instruction and teaching, right? That feedback is your perception of someone's performance. Each person, as they perceive the situation, is going to be their own source of truth. Each person sort of brings their own experience to the situation and their own interpretation to the situation. How is that understanding that your perception coming from your worldview might actually be a barrier?
3: So many good points and comments to unpack in in that initial statement. I'm gonna kind of focus on a couple that really jumped out to me and resonated. The first one was this feedback sandwich. It's one of the classic things, we've all heard it. It's how I remember I was taught how to give feedback when I was initially kind of coached on how to give feedback to people. And you always also realize that when you're getting feedback, you're like, oh, I'm getting the sandwich now. So now we're in the bread part and then we're going to get at the meat or vegetables, whatever you may want in your sandwich. And and so I think in some ways, you know, there's some literature out there that that classic feedback sandwich might be a bit confusing for people. And it also the interpretation of that sandwich depends on the person you're talking to. So if you're talking to someone who is super, super confident to the point of being a bit overconfident, they're actually not going to focus on some of that more constructive feedback that you're going to give them. All they're going to hear are the positive things at either end. Someone who's looking at it from a bit of a different, more self-critical lens, which I think tends to be oftentimes more Common for healthcare providers, they're not going to hear the positive, especially when they know you're giving them a sandwich. They're like, I'm just waiting to hear how I could have done better. And I'm waiting to hear the quote unquote criticism, which is how they frame it in their head, as opposed to, you know, these are just things that I'm just giving you feedback to help you get better. Framing all feedback as This is, I'm describing what I saw. So I'm describing some behaviors that I saw, not inferring personal traits from that. A lot of times we infer something about the human and something about who you are by how you behave, which sometimes line up and sometimes they don't. So taking that step back and saying, here's the performance that I recognized. Here are the behaviors that I saw. And making it very clear that I am not judging you as a human being right here. I'm not going to say, wow, you know, you did this. And so I think that means you're super lazy and you just don't care about what you're doing. So removing that judgmental kind of language, it can make people feel a little bit more um, comfortable and always framing it as, listen, we're going to do this feedback session to talk about something that has happened or something you know, how we've interacted, and then frame it as, how are you going to take this? And how can we then come together to talk about how we can improve things the next time? Um, It's kind of, to me, some of the the strongest ways of kind of rejigging that anxiety that almost I think everyone has in giving and receiving feedback.
2: Yeah, that segues me beautifully. Thank you, Michael. I think that you know, the way people should think about a feedback sandwich is just that it comes across the only way it possibly could as being disingenuous, right? If you have to come up with two positives and a negative in the middle, then you're not thinking about the actual message that you want that learner to walk away with. And so I wanted to make that point. I also wanted to say that it is my opinion that feedback is best delivered in a conversation, in all of the ins and outs and in-betweens that happens between a social connection, depending on what that connection looks like. And all the backstory and baggage, as you beautifully said, that comes from both parties that enter into that conversation. And so while the medical system is set in a way that the vast majority of feedback that people receive come through some sort of software that provides written assessment and written feedback, um, I actually think that that's a huge failure on our parts. And so taking the time, which none of us feel like we have enough of, uh, to sit down with a learner who you care about, who you can demonstrate that you care about, inequivocally so, will be the most meaningful for them. Michael brought up some really great points of adding the perception that that the teacher, if you will, has about what they saw, what they heard, what they observed, what they you know, saw one do or what they think about, making the traits that you bring up personalized and tailored to the individual to whom you're speaking, individualized without attacking their personality, their personal behavior, their behavior, but not their personality, excuse me. And the other thing I wanted to add about that is it's really important to gain their perception of what was going on. And assuming that they came to work today thinking, I want to do awesome today, not assuming like, wow, you're this person that I hate working with and you drive me crazy. And so I can only imagine that you walked into this conversation wanting to be the most annoying human being on the earth. Well, if that's the mindset that you have when having a conversation like that, it isn't going to go well. So don't bother, right? So you have to really care about who you're speaking with. You really wanna know where they're coming from and what they were thinking about because chances are they were applying a physiology that they saw three bed spaces down the hallway to the kid that's in front of them. And if you don't figure out where their misfire was, they're going to do it again. And it isn't about that one moment. It's about how they're growing as a professional, whatever that is. Um, And I think that that's, in my mind, the keys to successes of giving feedback are, A, you're not giving anybody anything. You're offering a conversation with your own perceptions and baggage. And um, you have to Display yourself as somebody who's a credible source of feedback. So people have to see you as a competent provider, as a person who cares about them, who wants them to be successful. You need to know where their backstory is. And then you also, on top of all that, need to provide words in a language that results in action. If your conversation is just, I'm checking off a box because the program director is gonna bark at me if I don't give you feedback at the end of our week of service together, it's not gonna go anywhere if the purpose behind your feedback is, oh, I saw you do these awesome things. And then the cherry on top of that Sunday is that if you could just X and I can help you do that with A, B, and C as a, as an example. And sometimes our conversations are much more dramatic and complicated than that. And sometimes, you know, they're, they're big deal, hard conversations, but that sincerity has to be there. Or it's not going to get you anywhere. So I'll just add to that. And
1: one of the things I think that mary was just talking about is really this about this intention and purpose and why are you giving the feedback and sometimes i think we get caught in this need or the compulsion to go down the checklist and think about all the things they didn't complete on that checklist right and how we have an idea of how something should be done and i think just like michael and that is filled with a lot of implicit biases and i think we're all learning particularly now about how we have to be more attuned to the all the baggage that we really come with and how the judgments that we make we have to leave room that we as the judger have to have some humility that maybe our perception was actually wrong and i think That is just such an important conversation to have with yourself before you provide any feedback to any learner and to really understand what your purpose is. And a lot of times I think about how you have to love your learner, right? Like you really want you have to be in a place where when you are giving feedback to that learner, the only purpose is to make that person a better version of themselves. You're not trying to change them from fundamentally who they are, but you're just trying to make them a better version of who you think they who they think they want to be actually. And so I've actually come now at feedback with this whole you break it you buy it. So if we adopt a fellow or a resident into our program or a junior faculty member, he or she is ours. And we are invested like you no longer have to prove to yourself that you belong. You belong. And now we just have to figure out ways to help you and facilitate that transition to either becoming a new fellow or a new faculty member and to focus on that. And the only other point about feedback that I think is important, specifically talking about the feedback sandwich is people constantly reject anything negative, right? Their defenses go up and things like that. So I think a more productive way is to really build upon the positive. So when someone is really struggling, you can't just say, well, you're still not doing that, you're not doing that, we need you to do that. Instead, you should focus on what it is that they do really, really well, right? And then build them up on that and then try to see how the things that you need them to start to be able to do the skills that they're still lacking can be built upon the foundation that they already have. And I love this idea that Mary brought up about making it so personalized and so unique to the person that you're really individualizing that sort of feedback to say, I see that you do X really well. And um, next time you may want to do
0: XYZ, to build upon that skill. Thank you. That's a lot of really good comments. Hey, listeners, we are going to take a quick break to hear from one of our official PIXIS sponsors. This episode was brought to you by nationally ranked Johns Hopkins Children's Center, who is the birthplace of pediatric cardiology and the historic blue baby operation. From birth to adulthood, the Blalik, towsing thomas pediatric and congenital heart center treats all patients with congenital and acquired heart disease. Their comprehensive congenital heart program provides the full spectrum of care for patients and families, including congenital heart surgery, heart transplantation, and ECMO and BAD. Their 12-bed cardiac ICU is the only one of its kind in the state of Maryland offering comprehensive cutting-edge procedures for treating pediatric heart disease. Johns Hopkins provides comprehensive advanced cardiology services including pediatric cardiac cath, complex heart rhythm problems, pediatric cardiac anesthesia, congenital heart surgery, fetal cardiology, general pediatric cardiology, and cardiogenetics. Their pediatric cardiologist provides services in 10 different locations in the state of Maryland and additional locations throughout the national capital region. What I heard you saying was that we need to, when we give feedback, make sure that our listener knows that we care, make sure that we're being honest. If able, be in person, be humble and make it personalized. And I want to try to tackle a couple of these so that hopefully people can walk away with just some really simple tools. If you have had a limited, a couple nights with somebody or a couple calf cases for someone, perhaps you haven't made a connection. Perhaps it's hard for you to enter sort of a space of vulnerability. How can you communicate to someone, you know, as you're giving feedback that you care? Is it just really as simple as when you sit down, just to simply say, I see this potential in you. I want you to be the best X doctor, Y doctor you want to be, and this is why I'm giving you the feedback and sort of just start with that? Or are there other ways you can convey that you're being sincere? I can start this. And I I would say the
1: biggest gift that you can give a trainee is your time. And I think, first of all, when you want to be perceived as caring, I think you have to make a mental check check in with yourself and say, do I really care about this person? Am I coming to this conversation with real care? Because I think we can't deny that there are going to be certain trainees or learners that we just don't really understand. And getting to that place of truly caring about them may be more difficult for certain personalities and certain people than others. I think that's just a reality that we as educators need to admit to ourselves. And so I think when you set aside time for them, again, it shouldn't just be about checking it off the box, but making sure that you are at a place where you want to give them 30 minutes to get to know who they are and where they're coming from And who they actually want to be, what they actually want to accomplish in this rotation or fellowship or residency, whatever it is that is. And then you giving advice about how you best think
2: you can help get them there. Yeah, I think that the, you know, the stereotypical learner who cardiac intensivists are working with are going to be our fellows. Some institutions, it's going to be residents, maybe our best practice providers, maybe our bedside RNs, maybe each other. Um, You know, as is my role at Northwestern, I work with educators in in every, you know, clinical world. And so sometimes for, for those people, not in my world, but sometimes it's a medical student who shows up in afternoon clinic and is there for one, you know, one afternoon. And so the point I'm getting at is that, certainly an educator will have a more credible message delivered to a learner if they've known them for a longer time frame. And so a learner who's a fellow, if you will, for a year or three years or five years or however long they're working with you at your institution is going to carry a different amount of weight than, you know, the poor medical student who's trying to get a taste of everything, who shows up for an afternoon or a morning of rounds and so, no, you're not going to sit down and profess your undying love, hopefully, to this medical student who popped in on morning rounds. But, but I think it's the um, it's basic social interaction, which isn't that basic for many people, particularly in medicine, of making eye contact, sitting down. But just like we do with the families that we're about to tell them something god awful about their child, right? But like caring about their time and their time commitment and their space and their interests, and It doesn't need to be fake. In fact, if it is fake, it won't go over well. So each individual person has to be true to who they are. Michael and Lillian can speak uh, probably for days upon how affectionate and emotional I am of a human being. I just that's just who I am. And so, yes, it's much easier for me to sit down and talk about how much I care about people's future and their successes. But that isn't everybody's basic personality. So you have to be true to who you are. And, and again, here we are back to baggage, what baggage and implicit biases you bring to the table.
3: I think too, you know, bringing that kind of framework of we're all we're talking about the learner and the person you're giving feedback to and how they're approaching it. You know, I, I think to resonate with both of you, this we have to know ourselves as well. And there's a time and there's a place for a learner. And there's also a time and a place for the person delivering that feedback. And so you have to be able to know yourself well enough that if you are not in a headspace to be giving good feedback, you should defer giving that feedback. If, you know, so as Mary was describing, if someone, a med student that you worked with one time comes up to you in the middle of a busy unit, can I get feedback on the one patient that I cared for? probably not gonna be your best moment to give that feedback. And it's not gonna be, be very beneficial to that learner. And I think, you know, our, our learners, we, we oftentimes frame them as children because many learners are children, but we have to recognize that these are adults that we're giving feedback to and treat them like adults. You know, if you say, listen, I'm not in a good headspace right now and I don't have the time to give you feedback at this moment, can we do it at a different time and place? Or I can give you an option that in about 10 minutes, I can give you a couple minutes of feedback. that that treats them like an adult that's in the conversation as well. Um, So I think recognizing that and treating them as adults rather than a four-year-old child is something that a lot of us forget.
0: That's a great point. It's almost like a
3: pre-processing,
0: check in with yourself. Am I even in a place to give constructive challenging sincere feedback and if i'm not being honest and and then offering it at a later time then that's not a failure perhaps on you or the person but recognizing mm-hmm. there's an alternative way to get at the same thing hopefully in a, a more meaningful way i love that
1: the content of the feedback that you're about to give i think also has to be checked for your own implicit biases that we've just been talking about. But one thing I always do is I do say to myself, if this learner were a white male, tall white male, performing the same actions and behaviors and articulating those words, would my feedback be the same? Because I do think that you know i always talk about this militaristic ideal of the leader the tall white male commanding an army right and you always think about that person i think if you still google these days leader you think of that tall white male and i think that still is part of our culture and so i personally have to check myself and say okay would this would what i would be saying to this person be different if it were delivered by somebody who looked differently than this person.
0: Wow, that's really powerful and really honest. And I think something that all of us, you're right, need to do, not just with patient care with ourselves, but in every sort of thought and interaction that we have. Carrying that to the sort of next step, I mean, only you can affect change within you. And you all are so committed to being open and forging this conversation, this candor within medicine and each other. And it's really easy to talk to you three because you're already open to these discussions. Let's say a learner comes to you crying because you're the program director and they had a really um, difficult feedback session where, you know, someone wasn't sincere or they didn't come at it from a place of humility or they, they felt it was very like, you know, black and white. This is how it should be. How do you either respond to that learner and then is it appropriate even to approach your colleague
2: to invite them to explore some of these things? Yeah, there's a there's a book called Thanks for the Feedback and it's it's really easy to read. It's a fast read. I listened to on audiobooks books in traffic in Chicago. What I love about this book is that it's one of few resources that really addresses the receiver in the feedback process. And it talks about, you know, How to be a receiver and to get the most out of it. And one of my favorite things in the book is um, this idea of a poorly wrapped gift. And if you can kind of picture in your mind somebody giving you a present, you know, and maybe it's something insanely thoughtful and it's exactly what you would want or choose for yourself. Maybe it's really expensive and extravagant. Maybe it's super simple, but like the perfect thing. But whatever it is, they did a really crappy job wrapping it. Like, it looks like my four-year-old wrapped it. Like it's crumpled paper, it's ripped, the tape is in weird places. Like it's just a hot mess. But there's still something really good in there. And if you can look past the crappy wrapping job, there's a nugget of like something golden in there. And so I love that example because you can all picture it in your head. But if you can catch your own emotional uprising and try to find that little nugget of truth in there and get away from whatever made it crappy but just hold on to the thing that was good and improve yourself with that then sitting through whatever horrible conversation you had to sit through to get that little kernel of truth was worthwhile we've all been on the receiving end of a crappy gift or a cr- poorly wrapped gift um and then you know the other side of that coin then is that the program director needs to follow up with the individual who, was the other side of that story, right? And have a very comparable feedback conversation with the individual who had you know, the crummy conversation because what was it from their perspective? And what did they say? Do they even remember what they said? What point were they trying to get across? And how do you make them then better at giving feedback based on what the recipient told you and what the giver uh, had to say for
3: themselves? you know, approaching all of these feedback sessions, we talk about it as if it's a one-way street. I am delivering information to you. And that is pretty much the exact wrong way to go about this. As Mary said, these are all conversations. And so you need to approach these conversations by actually, it's one of my favorite quotes, you have to listen, not planning your response, but with the purpose of actually understanding what the person is telling you. So it's more of an active listening that you you need to engage and be somewhat truly curious. You're going to, you're going in with your agenda, you know, the checklist. Here's the three things that I want to tell you. But I'd sprinkle in a little bit more than a little bit often of curiosity. How was that for you? How did how do you think that went? Because that can get you an idea of their frame, which can then actually help you tailor your feedback in a much more productive way. And then I would argue too, same as Mary, that if you're not giving feedback to the person giving feedback, then what's the point? My bad is, is that that person didn't get go into that feedback session saying, oh my God, I hate this person. I want to make them cry today so they know how awful they are. And so if, they don't, if you don't know the repercussions of your actions, you can't then have that self-reflective moment. If that person did approach the interaction with more of a malicious intent. That's a whole different conversation.
1: And I think we should just make sure that we clarify that for some things, there are facts, right? There are, there's actual physiology, there's biology, there's things, anatomy that relevant to our patients that are going to be right or wrong. There is going to be some facts that you can look up in a textbook that your learner got wrong. And I do think it's important that as we talk about all the ways that we give feedbacks and the human aspect, we don't lose sight of the fact that we have a ethical and moral obligation to our patients to make sure that we're training trainees, not just to feel good about themselves and feel good about getting feedback, but ultimately to get them to a place where they will serve our patients to the best of their capability. And it has to reach some standard, some threshold of being good enough. And I do think we don't compromise those standards. We don't compromise the quality. You know, a lot of people talk about Amy Edmondson's work and psychological safety, right? Being in a space where you can actually have these kind of honest conversations. And I think a a lot of people misinterpret Amy Edmondson's work about psychological safety, thinking it's all about being nice. Well, you're not actually in the learning zone if you're just being nice. You're actually in the learning zone if you're at a safe space, but also holding people accountable To a very very high standard which is what we have to do in the pediatric cardiac unit because our patients are so fragile and just coming at it from a place of there are going to be some things that are stylistic but then there are going to be some other things that we know either from past experience or it's actual physiology and anatomy that is right or wrong
2: great point lillian i just want to add to it that like just because you're giving somebody feedback or having a feedback conversation with them and they cry, that doesn't mean that you are in the wrong. They can cry. They can cry all they want. That's okay. But it it depends on, you know, what what is it? How are you delivering it? And what are you saying? And are you being honest? And are you maintaining societal, you know, professional values and goals and the, the high level care that we all want for our patients, right? That there's no substitute for that. This isn't okay, we'll wrap everybody up in cotton and give them a trophy and tell them they're amazing. There's a time and a place for that, but it
3: isn't every moment. Yeah, and and I think too, that's particularly a problem with the high performers. Mm -hmm. My God, you did so phenomenally well. Here is the 150 things that you did that I wish everyone else did too. And they tend to be also very, very self-critical. And so Mm -hmm. they may have these very heightened emotional responses to being told, here's what you could have done better Mm because they're so used to being perceived as being perfect and being that number one performer that Mary's right. They, they may say here, you know what, here's what you did really well. And here's what I want you, what I think you should be able to do next. Here's that next challenge that you should be able to tackle and they completely fall apart when they get that kind of feedback. And so, helping them see that—once again, I'm not calling you a bad person, but I'm actually doing a disservice if I don't try and help you be better. Because if, if you're stag- if you're going to just start stagnating, then I actually really don't care about you, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think that really
1: brings up a good point about the dangers of being perfect and success too early. I think if you experience success and consistently and are always praised for being perfect, particularly in a unit like ours, in the cardiac intensive care unit, no one is ever perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect surgery. Everything that we do has imperfections and we make the best of those imperfections to deliver the best sort of care that we can. And I think going through medical school and other health professional schools, you are so rewarded for getting the right answer. And then people struggle when we have to live in the gray. And we have to live in the gray so much that it is difficult I think for people sometimes not to be able to jump to an answer and just feel comfortable and move on to the next decision, but instead to just live in nuance and complexity.
0: Yeah, I think that's pertinent, not just for the high performers that we're talking about, but also, too, for the, like, millennial generation. Sometimes I hear the comments that people are, maybe they're scared to talk to them because we have to treat them with kid gloves or because, every you know, they joke, everyone wants a participation trophy. But really, I think what I hear you saying is that we are being actually compassionate, not by being, quote, unquote, nice, but by challenging and engaging our learners in a constructive way that nourishes the potential that we see in them. And so really not to have fear, to be honest, to, as, you know, as long as it's always coming from that place, that intention that you, you know, you do care about them and you care about them being the best they can be and the, the safety of your patients, like you were saying, to put that above all. So I think that's really, that's really good. And what about our learners um, in this remote world of COVID? Are there any differences or considerations that we should have when we can't give feedback in person?
3: Yeah, I I think in giving remote feedback, you lose the ability to contextualize things a little bit. Um, Like if you are anticipating a particularly difficult feedback session, given your knowledge of the environment. I wanna meet in my office. You can kind of frame the space in a way that can make that feedback um, session go a little bit better. You, you, you lose that remotely. And then you lose a lot of the nonverbal cues that people have. Um, someone's really nervous, they tap their leg up and down a lot. You can't see that. So that's where sometimes using these strategies, you know, I I fall back a lot on instead of delivering the feedback, asking the questions first, because then you're actually pulling out those verbal cues in a bit more of a meaningful way and very kind of upfrontly kind of saying what your intentions are and making sure that they realize that you have good intentions that you know, I do want you to realize your your potential. And saying, you know, I'm not here judging you as a human being, I'm here judging your performance, and I'm here giving you feedback on your performance. Um, so being a bit more intentional about the use of that language c- can be very helpful. And then what I've started doing, which I like, is you know, we talk a lot about the delivery of the feedback and the conversation, but then oftentimes don't kind of close that loop at the end with what are their takeaways and so I've started asking people hey what based on on what we've talked about what do you think are the key takeaways for you which is very much kind of focusing back to that debrief that standard debriefing framework of okay I want now to meaningfully transition from this conversation to the outside world where you're going to go and perform what are your takeaways and I've been surprised sometimes by what people's takeaways are. And so then it's a nice way to kind of reframe that discussion a little bit.
0: Well, that's a really good pointer. I like that. I'm going to start using that. That's a good way to sort of check yourself, sort of check yourself in the beginning, check yourself at the end and bring it full circle. That's yeah, We great. all
3: think we're like super transparent, phenomenal communicators until you ask someone what they just heard and you're like, oh, no, that's not what I meant at all. <laughs> It's
0: true. Speaking of different environments, but different um, genders as well, are there any special considerations when we're speaking, you know, we sort of touched on generation, on environment, but between um, male and female, if there' are both, I guess, as the giver and the receiver, if there are any special considerations we should be conscious of,
3: I'll jump in on that one too. Um, a, a lot of this, there is a lot of emerging data and studies about different biases in feedback, um, more so in realms outside of healthcare than in healthcare. But I, I don't see how they're not going to apply in the same way. And it's a lot more in in the world of career development, um, leadership development, and things like that. Um, There's a recent study that looked at they basically kind of did a machine learning based analysis of feedback sessions for people in a variety of businesses and found that as opposed. So men get encouraged to set their vision and lead their team Whereas women are much more encouraged to produce and to deliver and to execute someone else's vision rather than come up with their own vision. In addition, women are encouraged much more strongly to get along with others. Whereas men are encouraged to, you know what, make sure people see you as the leader, claim your space and and, and kind of advance yourself uh, more than anything else. In addition, a lot of the feedback around confidence is very, very different. Men are encouraged to display confidence more. So within that, there's an assumption that they are more confident underneath and that this perception of confidence is something that's fixable, that they can make themselves more confident. This is as opposed to women who are encouraged to just be more confident so there's an assumption that their actions actually reflect a lack of confidence on their own and the tendency to not be as confident as men. And so it's not to say that one of these is better or worse or that giving feedback to women, you should make it more like the, the feedback that is classically given to a man. There's there's benefits in both of these. You can see that you know men should actually be given feedback on how well they get along with others. Whereas women should be given more feedback about how they claim their space and how they lead. And so it's kind of making sure and matching those things that that is really important. And I think, you know, I reflected a lot myself after reading this literature about kind of what Lillian was saying before about do I give biased feedback based on who my learner is and based on my expectations of them, whether it be based off of, you know, gender, um, you know race, um, their religion. And so I I think the first step to combating biased feedback is to actually recognize it in yourself and reflect too. I I think um, probably everyone here has been on the receiving end of feedback that when you reflect, you're like, pretty sure that if I had been a man, I actually would not have gotten this feedback and I would not have gotten this career advice.
0: That's true. And I think that's sort of where all of this, I think, comes together full circle that the conversation, we should both be responsible going into the conversation as the giver and the receiver, but at the end of the day, if we can only be responsible for ourselves um, and you are the receiver on that end, then sort of going back to the beginning that you guys were all saying and understanding that each of us comes with our own implicit biases our interpretations, being your own truth keeper and taking the nugget of the poorly wrapped gift, the perfect way to tie it all together
1: this has been great, Sadie. Thank you so much for having us. And I've really enjoyed learning from Michael, Alice, and Mary. All of these things, I've been friends with and colleagues with them for a pretty long time. And a lot of this stuff is still really new to me and stuff I'm going to reflect
3: on as well. Yeah, the poorly wrapped present, I am taking that with me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Mary, Michael, Alice, Lillian, you three are inspirational to me. I find you all three to be radiant, to be candid, to be kind, to be honest, and I appreciate all of these pearls and nuggets that you have shared from your own experience. I will take them as well with me, and I I wish for others to be able to enter into this conversation and the space of introspection and and honesty so that we can all grow together. So thank you very much for leading the way. Thank you, Sadie. Thanks,
3: Thanks Sadie, for having us. This thank was fun. Thank, thank you, thank you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, fun. Thank you very much. To all of our listeners, thank you for listening to the Pixis podcast. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please visit our website, PCICS.org, where you can find more information about how to become a member and enjoy up-to-date information on educational resources, meetings, job listings, and much more. The song I Don't Know by Grapes was used under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution license.